to everything he was charged with, including securities fraud, mail fraud, wire fraud, money laundering, making false statements, and perjury. And that was exactly how he wanted it. Madoff's blue eyes looked weary and his expression resigned. No longer was he sporting that insane-looking smirk, the smile of what? The unburdened that had incensed everyone who had seen him walking around freely while he was out on bail in the days after his December 11, 2008 confession and arrest. Now, three months later, the smirk had vanished. He began wringing his hands. One of the prosecutors in front of him, acting U.S. Attorney Lev Dassin, stood up to address the court. The charges reflect an extraordinary array of crimes committed by Bernard Madoff for over 20 years, Dassin said. While the alleged crimes are not novel, the size and scope of Mr. Madoff's fraud are unprecedented. Assistant U.S. Attorney Mark Litt, the chief prosecutor in the case, then stood up and told the judge that Madoff could face up to 150 years in prison under federal sentencing guidelines. Finally, it was Madoff's turn to speak. The room stilled. Mr. Madoff, tell me what you did, Judge Chin said. Madoff had prepared a statement which he read out loud from stapled paper pages. He took full blame. He wasn't going to cooperate with the prosecutors, wasn't going to help them out and bargain for leniency or a lesser sentence. He wasn't about to indict his family or anyone else for helping in this fraud, a fraud so large, encompassing more than 4,000 client accounts, that even the Nobel Peace Prize winner and Holocaust survivor Elie Wiesel, whose charity had lost millions, had been driven to calling Madoff a thief and a scoundrel in public. Madoff wanted everyone to believe that the crime was his and his alone, even though investigators suspected that his wife, his sons, his brother, and other relatives and top lieutenants helped carry it out. Madoff's voice was a strange blend of Queens-accented New York and a soft but firm monotone. Your Honor, for many years up until my arrest on December 11, 2008, I operated a Ponzi scheme. I am actually grateful for this first opportunity to publicly speak about my crimes, for which I am so deeply sorry and ashamed. I am painfully aware that I have deeply hurt many, many people. When I began my Ponzi scheme, I believed it would end shortly and I would be able to extricate myself and my clients from the scheme. I am here today to accept responsibility for my crimes by pleading guilty and with this plea allocution explain the means by which I carried out and concealed my fraud. I always knew this day would come. I never invested the money. I deposited into a Chase Manhattan bank. Madoff's statement took only about ten minutes, and while he spoke he did not turn to or eye the packed crowd in the gallery. When he finished, he sat down, and the courtroom broke out into a series of murmurs. Madoff would not have to spell out any details of his crime, nor would he implicate anyone else. There was just his guilty plea and no further explanation. The tension crescendoed, for now it was time for three victims to make short statements. 
The first, George Nirenberg, took the podium and glared over at Madoff. I don't know if you've had a chance to turn around and look at the victims, Nirenberg snapped. Madoff then glanced over his shoulder, but Judge Chin admonished Nirenberg to return to the argument at hand. For what reason, if any, should the judge not accept Madoff's guilty plea and not send him to jail? A filmmaker whose family had lost everything, Nirenberg wanted to know why there was no conspiracy charge by the government. Surely there were other people who had helped Madoff in his decades-long fraud who should be held accountable too. He didn't commit this alone. I'm not suggesting that you reject the plea, but that there is another count to consider, Nirenberg said. Madoff had just said that the fraud had started in the early 1990s, but even the prosecutors...